Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Why was there a riot at the Capitol by Trump supporters? Why have there been riots across America this year by leftists? What are the roots of these riots? Before we investigate that today, ladies and gentlemen, I want to go back to what I said in the a couple of months ago in the show uh, right after Election Day. I started out by saying where there's smoke, there's fire. How much fire? We don't know. Be patient. Litigation will happen. It'll probably take weeks. And then I said this. But no matter what happens, remember that you have much more in common with your political opponent than you don't. Yes, you may have made a good case for your side, and it's frustrating that some people see it differently, but we're all made in the image of God. Christ died for all, including people you disagree with politically. And by the way, there's a lot more important things in life than politics. Politics is important, but you shouldn't be tearing one another apart over politics. In fact, over anything. We're all on a journey in many ways. We're on a journey spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, politically, personally, socially. And we shouldn't expect everyone to be on the same or at the same place we are right now. In fact, you probably don't agree with your own version of yourself that existed five or 10 years ago. We all grow at different rates and in different ways. And we shouldn't expect everyone to agree with us on religion, politics, or in several other areas of life. And then I quoted from 1 Peter 2, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to a king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. And so I said, look, let's let, let's let the process work out and submit ourselves to the result either way. Even if the end, you're still convinced that the final result is wrong, that the election was stolen or fraudulent. And then I went on to quote 1 Peter chapter 3. And by the way, this is the section of scripture that most apologists get their marching orders from. Uh, giving evidence and having a reason for what you believe in is mentioned in many places, but it's normally 1 Peter 3. Now, 1 Peter, the context of 1 Peter is suffering, that, that things are, are happening to Christians and they're suffering for it. And here's what Peter said. He said, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to, do, to, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are, attendant, are, are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But here's, here's the verse for apologists. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ 
may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Unquote from first Peter three. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's been also been put this way. It is better to suffer evil than to do evil. It is better to suffer evil than to do evil. If you think the election was fraudulent, that's not an excuse to do evil. It's better to suffer under the evil than to do evil. Now, I'm going to rely on some people that I respect who I've been reading on these issues because they are smarter than me on some of these cultural issues, certainly. Uh, and my f- one friend is John Stone Street. He, he writes for Breakpoint, uh, Colson's ministry. And uh, here's what he said the day after the riots. And by the way, I'm recording this on Friday, which is uh, Friday the 8th. So if something happens before you hear it that I didn't include, sorry, <laughs> I didn't know about it. But here's what Stone Street said, <clears throat> writing, I guess, on Wednesday. He said, yesterday, when President-elect Biden said that the actions of the mob did not reflect America, I wish he were correct. But he wasn't. We are not a moral nation. We are lawless. We are not a nation that cultivates the kinds of families able to produce good citizens. Our institutions cannot be trusted to tell us the truth or advance the good. Our leaders think and live as if wrong means are justified by preferred ends. Basically, the ends justify the means. Our churches tickle ears and indulge narcissism. Our schools build frameworks of thinking that are not only wrong, but foster confusion and division. Yesterday's riot was not the first in our nation's history, nor will it be the last. There are certainly immediate causes for what we witnessed, including the words of a president who appeared to care more about the attention the riots gave him than the rule of law they violated. Still, there are ultimate causes, ones that predate his administration and that have created what is clearly a spark-ready environment, unquote. This is from John Stone Street. Breakpoint. Now, I want to draw a, con- a distinction here between uh, a condition and a cause. He said a spark-ready environment. That's the condition. That's not the cause. And one of the conditions that have put forth these riots, not just in the Capitol, but throughout our country in the past 10 months, have been something uh, about our own moral character. And this is what Stone Street is talking about. In fact, one of the most influential founding fathers, as you know, is John Adams. And he said this in 1798, quote, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, unquote. You can have the best constitution in the world, which I think we do. But if the people aren't moral, if they're not religious, that constitution will be ignored. That constitution will not be able to hold back the evil that evil people want to do. And this has been done, unfortunately, on both sides of the political aisle. 
We have avarice. We have ambition. We have revenge. We have gallantry. That's going to break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through the net, said Adams. So laws are only really effective when people are moral and religious. When they're not, you can easily descend into anarchy, which is what riots are. Now, there are no excuse, in my view, there's no excuse for a riot, but there are explanations for a riot. There's no excuse, but there are explanations. Now, let me try and and give to the best of my ability what I think are the explanations for riots. And I mentioned there's a distinction between a condition and a cause. You know, the condition of a fire might be you have dry leaves. The cause of the fire is someone throws a match in there. Okay, right. Well, the cause of the Capitol riot or the ones we've been seeing for months across the country were people making a free will choice to take out their frustrations through violence. They are personal responsible. They are personally responsible for their actions. That's the cause. The cause is always people making free will decisions. The condition is something else. The condition in which people make those free will decisions may influence them, obviously, to make those decisions. But the ultimate cause is someone making a decision, a free will decision to riot, a free will decision to take out their frustrations through violence. And I'll draw that distinction further right after the break between a cause and a condition, and hopefully it will be instructive and help us move forward. My name is Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Our website is crossexamined.org. Crossexamined.org. Go there, bookmark it, because Google has been shadow banning us. I'll explain more of that right after the break. See you in about two minutes. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to Cross-Examined Radio, also called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Our website is crossexamined.org. As I said, Google has been, over the past year, shadow banning us. What do I mean by that? Well, for many years, our website has grown in number of users. This past year, it decreased 37%. The number of people coming to crossexamined.org, despite the fact that many more people know about us, has decreased 37%. We think we've narrowed it down to shadow banning, that when people search for something, our results are pushed down. And so people don't come to our site as much anymore because they can't find it in a Google search on the first couple of pages. And this big tech censorship is going to apparently increase. So get ready. Anyway, let's go back to our a distinction here that I was trying to draw between a condition and a cause. I said a cause is people making a decision to do something immoral. The conditions that led them to make those choices or those decisions seem to be these. No one is listening or doing anything to address our grievances about voter fraud and racism. The riots in our country the past year, the one riot on Capitol Hill earlier this week, was really about what people perceived to be voter fraud in a stolen election. And the riots throughout the 
country over the past year or so have been largely centered around racism. Both groups have evidence for their grievances on video. For example, there's there's what appears to be evidence of voter fraud or at least a violation of election law in Georgia. You've probably seen the video of people pulling out boxes of ballots after uh, observers were told to go home. And then these ballots look like they've been run through the same machine over and over again. No observers, no Republican observers were in the room. They were all told to go home because of a water main break and there was no water main break. There's video evidence of that. There was video evidence just the other night in the Purdue race of 34 or 32,400 votes taking away from Purdue on live TV. And people are trying to say, well, this is just an error. This is an election error. Why do these election errors always happen to Republicans? Never happens to Democrats. Why is that? That needs to be investigated. And people are frustrated when they're not. In fact, those 32,400 votes would turn the election in favor of Purdue. Who knows what's going to happen? Probably nothing. And that's frustrating. Of course, the George Floyd death in Minnesota, that's video evidence. What people think was a racist attack. Now, we still do not know if that case was racially motivated. Nobody's been interviewed publicly anyway. There's no trial. We don't know if that officer did what he did to George Floyd because of racism. We know it was wrong what he did, but was it racist? We don't know. But people have have inferred that, yep, it's racism. So there's video evidence of this. Now, here's another condition. That's a condition, right? It doesn't cause people to riot. It's a condition of rioting. Here's another condition of the Capitol riot. Donald Trump's inability to be presidential, to make everything about himself rather than the Constitution, to which all politicians and our military take an oath to defend. When I was in the United States Navy, we took an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Everybody takes that oath who enters public office or the military. Now, while Trump didn't, despite what some headlines have said, Trump didn't tell the people to be violent. He didn't tell them to do that, but Trump should have gone out of his way to tell the crowd to be peaceful. He didn't do that until after the fact. Now, of course, he didn't know this was going to happen, but he should have, in my view, said something if, when he said, hey, let's go down to the Capitol. He should have said, be peaceful. He said, let's go on and cheer our senators. OK, yeah, but be peaceful doing it. Say that. He didn't until after the fact. His condemnations of the violence were initially too tepid and then too late. And instead of saying the election has been stolen or rigged, which he's been saying for two months, he should have been saying there's evidence that, that it may have been stolen or rigged. And that needs to be investigated because when it's not investigated, then people take out their frustrations over often through violence, through rioting. Now, the night of the, of the riot, which was Tuesday, I believe, if I'm getting my dates right, um, Tucker Carlson on his program on the Fox News channel had an interesting monologue. And I'm going to read a portion of it because I thought it was insightful, except for the first line. Here's the first line. The only reason this country is rich and successful. No, it's not the only reason. It's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons. But I, I won't quibble there. He says, the only reason this country is rich and successful is because for hundreds of years, we've in, in, enjoyed a stable political system. And the only reason that system is stable is because it's a democracy. Not really. It's a republic, but people have a have a role in it. They vote. I get it. 
And it responds to voters. Democracy is our pressure release valve. As long as people sincerely believe that they can change things by voting, they stay calm. That's not always the case, but generally. They don't storm the best deal. They don't burst into the House chamber. They talk and they organize and they vote. But the opposite is also true. If people begin to believe that their democracy is fraudulent, if they conclude that voting is a charade, that the system is rigged and it's run by a secret group of small, a small group of powerful, dishonest people who are acting in their own interest, then God knows what will happen. Actually, we do know what would, what, what would happen, what could happen. It's happening right now. It's happened in countless other countries over countless centuries. And the cycle is the same because human nature never changes, unquote. Okay. That's Tucker. Now it's me. Yes. Human nature never does change. That's why our, our system of government is quite good because it has checks and balances. It has four branches of government, really three, but there's a fourth unknown branch called the administrative branch. Groups like the EPA and FCC and Treasury and, you know, they're, they're anyway, I'm not going to go down that road right now. Okay, let's just say three, <laughs> three branches of government. And they're not co-equal, by the way. People think they are. No, they're not. The legislature is supposed to be the dominant branch. Why? Because the legislature, first of all, is supposed to be closest to the people. And secondly, it's the only branch that can impeach the two other branches. Now, the problem is because they are so diverse in their power, there's so many representatives, it's really difficult to impeach. And maybe it should be. On the other hand, um, what do you do when you get rogue judges or a rogue president? It's hard to change things. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the point here is, is that human nature never changes and human nature is bent toward evil and we need checks and balances and we need people to generally restrain themselves because no constitution can cause them to do that. Going back to what John Adams said, our constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You want to know why our country is falling into moral abyss? Because the church is partially responsible. The church hasn't been the church for the past hundred years. We haven't really been making disciples. We've been tickling people's ears with, here's how you make your life better. That's what Christianity is all about. We've been actually conforming to the culture rather than trying to get the culture to conform to us. We've not been making disciples. We've been only making believers, people who have fire insurance. But they're, they're not really disciples. They're not really following Jesus. You know, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. The word disciple appears nearly 300 times. 300 times. Part of the reason we have unrest in our country, a good part of the reason is the church's fault. Because we have not done enough to instill morality and religion in the, in the positive sense that we ought to be following Jesus. We have not done enough to do that. And so no constitution, no form of government is going to survive when the people do everything for their own personal advantage. There's no sacrifice at all. All right, let me go back to what Tucker said here. Continuing with his monologue, he says, listen to us, screams the population. Shut up and do what you're told, reply the leaders. In the face of dissent, the first instinct of legitimate leadership is to crack down on the population. But crackdowns never make it better. Instead, they always make the country more volatile and more dangerous. The people in, in charge rarely understand that. They don't want to. They don't care to learn or listen because all of this conversation is a referendum on them and their leadership. So they clamp down harder. Obey, I tell you, obey. This is the Romanoff program. It ends badly every single time. But that doesn't mean they won't try it again. Of course they will 
because it's their nature. It's how they got there in the first place. Millions of Americans sincerely believe the last election was fake. You can dismiss them as crazy. You can call them conspiracy theorists. You can kick them off Twitter, but that won't change their minds. Rather than trying to change their minds to convince them and reassure them that the system is real, that democracy worked as, as you would if you cared about the country, or the people who live here, our new leaders try to silence them, unquote. He goes on to say, we need more speech, not less. And yet what's going on? You have people calling, we have Democrats in our country calling for the arrest of people who supported challenging the electors, or at least kicking them out of, out of Congress. You have big tech trying to silence people who have a different point of view. That's not the way forward, ladies and gentlemen. You need more speech, not less. So the condition of the riots, again, it's not the cause. It's one of the conditions. It's trying to silence people from even suggesting there's been voter fraud. Now, despite the, what the media has been saying, an investigation of the evidence in court hasn't happened. There's only been one or two cases, to my knowledge, that have looked at any evidence. One was the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which was decided four to three in favor or against Trump. And uh, the, the deciding vote was a new judge who said, this smacks of racism. Nothing about whether or not it was constitutional or not. This smacks of racism that they wanted, the Trump administration wanted some votes discounted because of an illegal change to election law. It wasn't about racism. It was about whether the Constitution was adhered to or not. But to my knowledge, no court has really looked at the evidence. Election laws certainly have, have, have been violated. We know that. The Constitution of the United States has been violated because secretaries of state and governors have changed election law when the, the United States Supreme Court, or the United States Constitution says only the legislature can change election law. Also, there's video evidence of ballots, the ballots being pulled out after hours and counted over and over again without observers. There's over a thousand affidavits that were made in um, under the threat of perjury that you can go to jail if you're putting a false declaration out that voter fraud occurred, or at least what you thought was voter fraud. There's precincts with more votes than voters. There's st statistically improbable vote dumps all in favor of Biden. There's subtractions of votes from Trump and David Perdue. Now, maybe none of this would change any of the results, yet it all needs to be investigated. If somebody attempts to shoot you and misses, you don't go, well, it didn't change the result. I guess we don't have to, we don't have to prosecute the guy. No, it's attempted murder is attempted murder, whether it's successful or not. And the, here's one of the problems. One problem is that those who won don't want to inspect the system that got them there. This is a hard problem, ladies and gentlemen. More on it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. If you're low on the FM dial, looking for national public radio, go no further. You're never going to hear this on NPR. In fact, I'll tell you what you'll hear on NPR here in a minute because we're getting to it. <laughs> but you're listening. To I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about really the roots of riots. Why do people riot? And I said earlier, there's a, different, uh, there's a difference between a condition and a cause. The cause of rioting is that people just make a decision to take out their frustrations through violence. People are individually, personally responsible for that. The condition that may influence them to make those choices to riot are things that we've been mentioning here. Uh, some of that might be the fact that people are ignoring the United States Constitution and others will say, I've just fed up. These people are not doing anything. Now, again, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. There's no excuse for this kind of violence. Now. Unfortunately, this election has not been investigated adequately, in my view, anyway. And that's not going to change at this point. As I said at the top of the program, we don't resort to violence as Christians, and we shouldn't just as Americans. What we do is we try and change the system from within. Even You say it's an unjust system. Yeah, okay, it is. But every system's unjust at a certain point because there's all unjust people in it. We're not going to try and overthrow the United States government. We're going to try and work from within it to change it. And one of the ways we do that is to make better citizens of our own families. One of the things we fail to do, as John Stone Street was saying earlier in the, in the clip I read. Um, in any event, let me also talk about another condition. We talked about the condition surrounding the riot at the Capitol. Now let's talk about the condition of riots this summer. And tragically, the condition. Uh, for the riots or some of the conditions for the riots, the media and, and, and the Democrats have largely fed. They either refused to condemn the riots or they actually endorsed them. There's an article on The Federalist that was released. What's the date here? Uh, just earlier this week, uh, January 7th. It says the article is 28 times the media and Democrats excused or endorsed violence committed by left wing activists. And the first one they have here is Kamala Harris, the pre vice president-elect, who urged followers to cover rioters' bail. The second he has here is Chris Cuomo, who said the protests were who said to pro uh, protests were supposed to be peaceful. He ha obviously hasn't read the First Amendment, the United States Constitution, which talks about the right of the people peaceably to assemble, not to riot. So who said the Constitution? Chris said that. Also. An MSN, they have this all in the article. I can't go through it all, but an MSNBC reporter describes the fiery scene as mostly a protest. They're burning things down, and he's calling it mostly a protest. Uh, CNN labels a burning protest fiery, fire, fiery but mostly peaceful. Um, the Democrat National Convention refuses to condemn riots. Here's the thing on NPR a Pulitzer Prize winning. New York Times writer said destroyed. Actually, this was on CBS. Forgive me. It was on CBS uh, said destroying property isn't violence. 
The New York Times architect of the 1619 project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, explicitly rejected the idea that destroying property fits the definition of violence. Destroying property, which can be replaced, is not violence, Hannah-Jones said on CBS, to which the anchors offered no challenge. It's a great point you make, Nicole, said CBS is Vladimir Druthers. Uh, oh, here's the government. Uh, here's the here's the PBS one. Government funded PPS reporter denies anarchists are anarchists. PBS White House correspondent Vamichi Alcinder tried and failed to fact check President Donald Trump in May, apparently faulting the president for not providing any evidence when calling anarchists terrorists in our cities anarchists. These people are anarchists, President Trump says, without providing any evidence. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're rioting and they're well gee anyway <laughs> trump said get tough democrat mayors and governors these people are anarchists and yet she's saying well they're not anarchists well then why are they trying to burn down an ice building why are they trying to burn down a uh, a courthouse what are they then they're antifa anyway he, this, this this article goes on and on i can't read the whole thing now Michael Lind, who was quoted by Rod Dreher, Rod Dreher is the guy that wrote the book Live Not By Lies, um, wrote this uh, in an article recently. He's a professor from UT Austin. He said the complete reversal in mentality from just a few months ago is dizzying. Those who spent the summer demanding the police be defunded are furious that the police response at the Capitol was insufficiently robust, violent, and aggressive. Those who urged the abolition of prisons are demanding Trump supporters be imprisoned for years. Those who, under the batter of anti-fascism, de fascism demanded the firing of a top New York Times editor for publishing an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton advocating the deployment of the U.S. military to quell riots, a view deemed not just wrong but unspeakable in a decent society. These same people are today furious that the National Guard was not deployed at the Capitol to, to quash pro-Trump pro supporters, unquote. Yeah, the double standard here is legion. It's unbelievable. Now, again, this is an explanation, not an excuse. Both sides are wrong. The right, the now this is the only instance I know of people at a Trump rally uh, rioting. And some say, well, there's some Antifa in there. Yeah, maybe there were, but look, there was a lot of Trump supporters in there too. So... But, but how many were there? A hundred that got into the Capitol? I'm looking at the New York Post today. They, they're looking for about 50 something, 68 people, maybe. OK, it was a small group that went in there. Still not an excuse, an explanation. A small group, uh, it, probably in any in any political party are, are going to act this way. Uh, here's what Dreer says on his column. And his column, his, his blog, you can go find him at American Conservative. He says, signs of a pre-totalitarian society. And by the way, Dreher has been very hard on, on, on Trump and, and partially rightfully so. I don't agree with everything he says, but anyway, here's what Dreher says. Signs of a pre-totalitarian society include that people are unwilling to believe anything that doesn't cohere with their inner narrative. The MAGA right does this as the woke, as does the woke left. I'm especially sorry to see wide sections of the right fall victim to this Trump madness because these people, this mob, subverts the cause of legitimate resistance to the left's broader project. Basically, he's saying, look, the riot set back 
a legitimate resistance to what's coming from the left and what has been going on from the left. And here's what Dreher goes on to say. Consider that for much of the past year, we have we have all watched as left wing mobs torched parts of cities, ransacked businesses, physically harassed and intimidated innocent civilians, all in the name of racial justice. We have watched these same mobs tear down statues of American historical figures with impunity. People like me objected, but not many in our media and liberal establishment. It was all necessary, we were told, to achieve social justice. True, some on the left may have objected to violence in principle. But where were all but but we were all instructed that we had to, quote, understand the pain of the protesters. Yes, it might have been mob rule, but it was a righteous mob. We were led to believe we have seen our universities and our leading media institutions throwing out their professional and academic standards in an effort to appease the leftist mob and its ideological madness. So please do not come pee on my leg and tell me that the MAGA insurrection was a shocking attack on American democracy and the liberal order, one that's been completely disconnected from the left's sustained assault on the same. One of the most astute black commentators on public affairs tweeted this yesterday. This is from Thomas Chatterton Williams. He said, I don't know how to say this because I'm so frustrated. A lot of voices on the left were talking romantically for months, all blank summer, about the righteous virtues of property destruction and, quote, mostly peaceful protest. This was playing with fire. He also said, for people coming to this tweet from others who have twisted it. The point is not to excuse the appalling scenes in Washington today, which I've already condemned. The point is to say that violence, lawlessness, and destruction has to be categorically rejected, period, unquote. That's again from Thomas Chatterton Williams, a black commentator. It has to be categorically rejected. Again, there's no excuse We're just looking at the explanation. There's also a difference between the condition of a riot and the cause of a riot. So Dreher goes on to say about Chatterton Williams, he's right, of course, and it's not not all or it's not at all whataboutism. You know, whataboutism when you say, oh, if you're a MAGA supporter, uh, and the MAGA people riot. You go, oh, yeah, but what about the left? You guys have been rioting all. Yeah, it's, he's saying it's not that. He says, you cannot understand the insanity that took place on Capitol Hill yesterday, something that I have condemned and do condemn without equivocation, without understanding it in the context of what the left has been doing. The MAGA mob and its, MAGA mob and its supporters acted yesterday to dismantle the American system of government as a manifestation of classic liberalism. The radical left has been doing this for some time. Now, more broadly, the MAGA mob has the crackpot in chief behind them. I told you he was hard on Trump. The left has established has establishment leaders in the media, academia, progressive state governments and in corporate America. Here's here's the NPR piece. Remember NPR's puff interview last summer of the leftist author of a book titled, quote, in defense of looting. The liberal media elites have been embracing this stuff for a long time. They would never in a million years allow some MAGA nut to elaborate on why sacking the Capitol was morally just action. They have standards, after all. 
It's just that those standards only apply sometimes. This is exactly why so many Americans despise and distrust the media, unquote. Again, that's from Rod Dreher, his blog over there at the American Conservative. He's right about this. It's not what aboutism. It's saying that the condition has been set. The cause, the people responsible for the rioting, they're personally responsible. But the condition has been set. In the Capitol riot, part of the condition was sent by was set by Trump not coming out strong enough and, and saying, don't be violent when he said, go down to the Capitol. Uh, and the left has been setting this condition for the past year by saying, by saying, you know, sometimes violence is necessary. Uh, this is righteous violence. It's our mob, so to speak. And yet they have this double standard. When the other side has their mob, no, you can't do that. So I have a lot more to say about this right after the break, but I do want to reiterate something. That as we discuss this back and forth, we need more speech, not less. We also need to point out that if you disagree with somebody politically, you have much more in common with them than your political disagreement. They're made in the image of God, and Christ died for them just like he died for you. More on this right after the break. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Don't go anywhere. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. I want to mention I'm going to be out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. I think that's the 17th of January, one of my favorite churches. The great Jack Hibbs is out there. We're going to be doing a pro-life Sunday. I'll be speaking all three services. Hope to see you out there if you're out near Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, one of the few churches in California open. And uh, it's just a wonderful group of people out there who are very encouraging and, uh, and uh, they're tight. I mean, it's it's a group you want to be a part of if you're anywhere in the Southern California area. Anyway, let me go back to uh, something I probably didn't mention. I I got ahead of myself earlier. We were talking about uh, these people saying that, well, Trump had his day in court or the Republicans had their day. Actually, they did not. As I mentioned, there were a couple of cases that were argued that Trump won one and lost one or the Trump administration did. But most of these cases have been dismissed without looking at the evidence. They've been dismissed on technicalities like standing. That's what the Texas case was. Just, the, the Texas case wasn't even a Trump case. It was from the Texas AG, the, the attorney general. And basically, the Supreme Court uh, said that we're not going to take the case because Texas has no right to tell Pennsylvania how to run their state elections. You have no standing there. Well, I tell you, who does have the authority to tell Pennsylvania how to run their elections? The United States Supreme Court, because the United States Supreme Court should look at the Constitution where it says that the state legislatures can change election law, not the secretaries of state, not the governors. And that wasn't followed in Pennsylvania. And by the way, you need two or you sorry, you need four Supreme Court justices to take a case. Obviously, they don't have to take the case. I think they should have in this situation. And only two of them, I think it was Alito and Thomas, said, yeah, we should take the case. 
And look, no court wants to touch any of this. I get that. But that's the that's the remedy we have. You take a dispute to court and no courts really looked at the evidence for election fraud. And that is going to be very difficult for future elections for our nation. And when people see the condition being that there's no way that their voices are going to be heard, unfortunately, it's not an excuse. It's just an explanation. People resort to violence. Let me go back to John Stone Street. We started with his column on this from Breakpoint. Here's what he said. He said, yesterday's events cannot be understood, much less addressed outside the larger context. And the moment we excuse ourselves and being part of the problem, we have lost our saltiness. Often throughout history, moments like this have been embraced by the church as an opportunity by God's people. When a people reach this level of vulnerability, either as individuals, as families, or as nations, it is clear that they are out of ideas. There is no sustainable way forward when the ideological divide reaches this level, not only about how best to reach commonly held aims, but when there is no consensus on the aims themselves. To be clear, civilizations usually die with a whimper, not a bang. America will go on, but we aren't okay. Even more, the resources once found in various places within our culture to build new things or to fix what's broken are largely depleted. The only way out of the long decline of decadence, punctuated as it is by noisy, scary moments like yesterday, meaning the, the Capitol riot, is either, as Ross Duhat wrote, Ross Duhat, a relatively conservative columnist, one of the token conservatives at the New York Times, he wrote, you have either revolution or religious revival. Unquote. We don't want a revolution, ladies and gentlemen. We want a religious revival. We want to spread the gospel. And when persecution comes, which it probably will come now, even more so than before, when you have people saying we have to lock up anybody that supported Trump and people ought not be able to, to, to work if you're not, you know, if you supported Trump, if you don't come out and virtue signal uh, by dissing anything that has to do with Trump and, and, and him or his policies, we're going to come after you. Well, now is an opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, an opportunity for the church to show love to such people, as it always should, and to try and bring them into the kingdom and disciple them. Remember, we're here to make disciples, not just believers. Now, let me go to a couple of questions that you've written in. One has to do with the election. Mike writes in saying he's distraught over what's going on politically. And the new group wants to radically change the foundation of what makes America a great country to live in. He says, I know our hope is in Christ. It's just that I feel terrible for my young children who will grow up in a country not recognizable. It could go on, but I'm asking you if you could do a podcast encouraging people like me. Well, that's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do here, Mike. Focusing on our hope in Christ and what we can do even if even in a country that does not respect Christianity or Christian values, a country where what is good is evil and what is evil is good. Thank you for encouragement. I look forward from hearing you, well, let me, for hearing from you. But let me point out that um, America over the past uh, several decades, where basically we've had religious freedom um, and throughout our history, we've had religious freedom is kind of the exception, not the rule. That's why we call it American exceptionalism. That, that our, our founding documents, including our First Amendment, is pretty unique across the world in terms of government. And so our people aren't necessarily exceptional. It's the form of government. And when we lose the form of government, when we, we don't obey the Constitution, 
then we're going to be in trouble. But that's the way most of the world is. <laughs> so just get used to the way the rest of the world has lived, that Christians have lived in exile in most nations across the world. They've always been the minority in, well, not always, in, in, in many cases, they've been the minority and the minority now, at least Bible-believing Christians. You may have people saying that culturally they're Christian, but true disciples of Christ. So it even happened, obviously, in ancient Israel. There's a remnant. God preserves a remnant. We're going to have to live as remnants. So, so go back and listen to the podcast I did with Rod Dreher, if you would, uh, Mike. Uh, just live not by lies just a couple of months ago. He talks about it and he talks about it in his book, The Benedict Option, that we're going to have to live in smaller groups and take care of one another. And people can grow in Christ that way more so than otherwise. So this may be an opportunity to grow more in Christ. So that's what we really want to do anyway. Look, the country's not eternal. People are eternal. That's one of the problems with Marxism. Marxism inverts that. Marxism says the, states is, the state is eternal. People are not. That's why Joseph Stalin, when he was asked once, when are you going to stop killing your own citizens? He said, when it's no longer necessary. Because to see this, to him, the state was eternal, not people. The truth of the matter is people are eternal, not the state. So while there may be dark times coming through those dark times, we can grow. And that's my encouragement. Uh, let me see what else I can squeeze another question in here. This comes from Riley Swanson. He says, I'm a senior at the University of Michigan. You and the team at Cross-Examine have been instrumental in solidifying my beliefs and increasing my confidence. Your teachings have led countless conversations with atheistic and liberal professors, as well as many of my classmates and friends, Christians and non-Christians alike. Well, thanks, Riley. That's great. I cannot thank you enough for the impact you've made in my life. He, he says, I have two questions. I'll probably only get to one here. He says, I was in a discussion with the five-point Calvinist. In the discussion, one issue I brought up was that, that if we have no free will and God is the one who decides our every thought and action as they admitted to believing, then it would be immoral for God to judge us and punish us as we do, Revelation 20. Their response was that we cannot judge God's actions based on what we feel is right and wrong. If God judges us in the end, it is moral even if we don't have free will. I wasn't sure how to respond and hoping for some guidance. Well, this is actually what we call a voluntarist view of God, almost like a Muslim view of God, that God is arbitrary. Whatever God does, whatever Allah does is right. That I think the right Christian view of God is that God is essentially good and that whatever he, it's not whatever he does is right. He is right now. Therefore, whatever he does is right, but it's not because he does it. It's because he is the standard of righteousness and justice. Now, to get into the whole five-point Calvinist thing, the easiest thing to do is for me to recommend you to go back to a podcast I did on August 18th, 2018, Riley. Go to August 18th, 2018. Go to our app, the Cross-Examined app, two words in the app store, and go back to August 18th, 2018. August 18, 2018. And I did a whole podcast on this. So that'd be the easiest way of, of answering this. Uh, all right. The second part of your question is this. I hear all the time that people's intelligence and analytical thinking is a major obstacle when coming to Christ. Why do you think that is? Intelligence and analytical thinking should lead us to Christ the quickest and most, or, or should, should lead us to Christ the quickest. And it, it should be, it should help us to become a Christian. I agree with you, Riley. Here's one thing you want to ask an unbeliever who thinks that um, maybe we got here through evolution and there is no God. You just need to ask them to analyze this statement by C.S. Lewis, which is brilliant. Here's what he said. C.S. Lewis. I, I brought this up several months ago on the show. Check this statement out. Lewis says, suppose there were no intelligence behind the universe. 
In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought is merely the byproduct of some atoms within my skull. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? But if I can't trust my own thinking, of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I cannot believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God, unquote. Now, marinate on that. Have your friend marinate on that, <laughs> Riley, because he's just given an argument from reason, which I think is airtight. We shouldn't even use our reason to discredit God because we wouldn't have reason unless someone like God existed. Now, obviously, this doesn't necessarily prove the Christian God, but it seems to disprove a naturalistic or atheistic viewpoint that there has to be some sort of of reason out there from which our reason is derived, that our minds are derived from this reason. Our minds are made in the arc are, are made by the architect uh, who put everything into 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 place. Our minds are built in the blueprint of the great mind, the mind of God. Now, obviously, in a much to a much lesser degree. But the point here is, is that to use reason to say there is no God is to imply the existence of reason itself and our minds itself, which is best explained by God. So I'll leave you with that. Now, there's other questions I'll get to hopefully in a future show. But thank, for your, thank you for your question, Riley, and your kind comments. Let me go back to what I said at the top of the show. Yes, people are frustrated. But remember, regardless of, of, of what you believe politically, you have more in common with your political opponent than you do not. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Everyone should be treated with respect regardless of what they believe. So reach out in love to people, have good conversations, ask people to be calm and let's let's work this through. There's no other alternative. I'm Frank Turk. Great being with you. Lord willing, I'll be with you next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.